0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Uren. I'm here with the Gruck. G'day, Gruck. How are you?
1: Ah, uh, good day, Tom. I'm good. And yourself?
0: I'm well. I'm well. This episode is brought to you by Corelight, the network detection and response company. I've got a discussion with Corelight's Brian Die out on the channel this week. So thanks to Corelight. Today, we thought we'd talk about. An interesting couple of papers that came out earlier this month that deal with how Russia is, I guess, evolving the techniques it's using against critical infrastructure. And so I thought it was an interesting paper. The pair of them together make some claims. I had questions about, I guess. I thought there'd be right. something good to talk about.
1: So I think these papers present an opportunity to talk about some of the stuff that we love to talk about. Like core elements of cyber espionage, bureaucracy, internal politics, fiefdom building, <laughs> all that
0: good stuff. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the paper that Mandiant put out—it's titled "Sandworm Disrupts Power in Ukraine Using a Novel Attack Against Operational Technology." I guess there's different elements. One mm-hmm. element is that they used living off the land techniques to interact with operational technology or mm-hmm. industrial control systems. So that seemed to be a new thing that the Russians hadn't done before. So right. in previous electrical interruption type attacks, they've used different flavors of malware that I think have been called in Destroyer or mm-hmm. Black Energy. Yep. So that's one element. A second one is that they've decreased the scope of their attacks while at the same time doing them faster. So that feels a bit like a, you know...
1: Wartime uh, economy.
0: Yeah. (laughs) A third thing that was quite interesting is that these attacks were timed with a fairly, it seems like a relatively large conventional attack against critical infrastructure. So those were the three main things I picked out. Uh What what do you want to tackle first?
1: Okay, so I have some thoughts on Indestroyer. Mm-hmm. So you, you might remember from last year, there was the report of Indestroyer being caught at a sub-electrical station before it could be activated and used.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, right. I think I wrote about it and there was... Right. The Ukrainians claimed that they had successfully stopped it and that nothing bad had happened or that there was a very short outage or something like that. Right,
1: right. So I think basically to me what that suggests is that the Ukrainians are looking for those particular IOCs. Right, yeah. That they have some specific visibility on that malware strain, and therefore, it would not be a smart idea to try and use it. It would red flag you immediately. Whereas using existing tools, like you don't need malware to wipe a box. For example, you can use you know whatever. So I think that by using existing tools they not only reduce their forensics footprint and the IRCs that can be detected, but also it saves on development time. And this is a thing that I do want to harp on at some point, which is the, the, the resources that they devote to these attacks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, let's kind of address that, I guess. Because I think there's, there's two ways of looking at this, right? Either they're putting in few resources because as a strategic decision, they now want to operate in a lightweight, small footprint fashion, or they are putting in few resources because it's not a high priority.
0: Right. So my thinking was that living off the land, just as definition, that's abusing legitimate tools that are already Mm -hmm. in the environment. Like That makes sense because it's harder to detect. There seems Mm -hmm. to be a general shift towards that technique.
1: I would like to plug... For just one second, the Frack article I wrote in two thousand and four, which advocated for this specifically for those reasons, (laughs) right? Like I'm not joking. That's literally the entire point of the article that I wrote was that when you are hacking, you want to reduce the quantity and quality, right? Notice that the the quality is an element of evidence for a forensics investigation, right? And so, quantity means that you don't upload your own tools, like. You, you upload one tool, not all of them, for example. But quality means that, and I call it out specifically, you use existing tools rather than custom ones because finding a compiler on a box is meaningless, but finding an exploit is interesting. Right. right? So if you use Perl or Python or you know Ruby or whatever, and then put your script straight into standard in so it's not written to disk, but it just operates purely in memory, then the analysis is going to say, well, like there's nothing here. Like there's nothing that we can see. They ran Python.
0: Yep. Yep. So you were 20 years out of your time. It took 20 years for the Russians to listen to you, there you go. No oh, one <laughs> um, reads
1: Frack. That's, that's proof positive. Yeah.
0: But, but so, in a sense, that is saying that the Russians are just doing what's sensible. Right? Exactly. Now that isn't to diminish the significance of the discovery, right? Like no, This is no, a sorry. shift. It's a significant thing that's happening. I guess that tells us that this is what we should expect more of. Do you think they're giving up anything in shifting to living off the land? So for example, it seems like with purpose built malware, well you could just have something that maybe gets you further because it can do a whole lot of different things.
1: Yeah. I mean, but so like there's other aspects as well, right? Like so when you're using existing tools, you're usually using them partially as they were intended, yeah. but you're partially abusing them for your own purposes. And when that happens, they're not ideal, right? There'll be all sorts of limitations in the way that they were developed because they were never meant to do the hacking thing you're trying to do. So for example, you can use Telnet to do port scanning. Right. right? It's just super painful, very slow, and you can't do it in a stealthy way because you cannot control the sort of packets that it sends because it's not that sort of tool. So they are
0: giving something up. Like it's a trade-off, I guess.
1: Exactly. And I think one of the things that's worth keeping in mind, particularly with the Russians, is lots of other people are going to Living Off the Land as well. So I, I think this is not the exclusive reason they're doing it, but the Russians have doubled the size of their team in the last year. And if you if you think about it like that, if you are working somewhere and you double the staff with new people, right, you're going to one, change the culture. They're not going to have people who like adapt to the existing culture. They're going to bring some of their own stuff. And two, you're going to have a whole lot of newbies who you can't train up and sort of get experienced. So to a degree if you look at like where those people came from, which is predominantly cybercrime groups because they have existing skills. You're now taking ransomware people and putting them in cyber operations. So your cyber operations are going to look a lot like ransomware.
0: Right. So you think partly that shift to living off the land is a reflection of recruitment?
1: I think it could be. I think that it's it's plausible and I think it could be defended, but I I don't know if we could prove it one way or the other.
0: Yep. Now, one of the Is it an assertion or is it a speculation? One of the things in those papers is that living off the land allows the Russian forces to operate faster and actually increase the speed of how they do things. And I thought this was interesting, but uh, I was kind of making the face that you're making now, which
1: is the really face. Um, I'm not convinced. (laughs) Yes, go on. Why? Okay, so I do not think that the primary bottleneck on speed is how long it takes you to upload a tool <laughs> i don't think the bottleneck is even how long it takes you to develop a tool right because i think you can take you know something existing and modify it cuz to be clear like this operation specifically the one against this power plant or the the substation wherever it was it was in preparation for months like a couple of months of planning and work went into this it wasn't a you know, hey, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. The boss wants us to, like, hack the power plant for Monday, (laughs) you know. And they are like, oh, no, that's so fast. We better live off the land. There's no other way we can be that speedy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so what that immediately made me think is that the thing that really probably takes a long time is to understand the network and know what you want to do. And once you understand the network and know what you want to do, then you've got a choice of how you do it. And I guess in times past, maybe you would write particular malware to do that. And maybe that would take you time. Hmm. And so perhaps I can see what they're saying there. But then, like in this particular incident, (laughs) the Russians have been attacking Ukrainian electrical networks for- is it a decade? Close to a yeah, decade. Close to a decade,
1: yeah. Right, so th- that's
0: <laughs> that's not the thing that's slowing them right. down. I think they're at a position where they have probably a very good big picture understanding of the network. Right. They lob up and they go, what's it look like here right now?
1: And and, and- I would say that it's also like it's, it's during wartime, right? So you have resources available to you that you don't necessarily have during peacetime. For example, if you want to attack an electrical grid, You don't have to take one of your guys and say, All right, go to university and learn how electrical grids are put together so we can find vulnerabilities. You can have your boss tap someone at the electrical grid on your side who will come in and say, Okay, these are the vulnerabilities to look for. Based on my analysis of what you've shown me, here is what I would do. Right. Like you can skip a huge amount of stuff. So even if they did not have that decade's worth of experience, they would still have access to resources who could save them from having to learn from scratch Yeah. from, from first principles, literally.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially bringing in outside expertise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I can totally imagine in a a Western agency, if you were planning this sort of operation outside of wartime, it would be, no, we're not going (laughs) to (laughs) tell anyone. Are you
1: crazy? You're going to bring in some civilian, give him him a network map of what we're planning on hitting in three months (laughs) and asking him where we should go and what we should do. Like- but as soon
0: as you're in a war, that risk tolerance changes tremendously. <laughs> it's like, get that person in here now. Do they seem trustworthy? Okay. Yeah,
1: like, like yeah. Whatever it takes. If we have to meet them outside in a hotel so they don't see the big board.
0: <laughs> so to me, living off the land and speed is...
1: I think they're orthogonal. They're not connected. It, particularly, and here, here's the thing I want to bring up. Most of the time in a cyber operation is spent before you actually get on the box, right? It's your planning, your preparation, your development of tools or exploits or whatever, your analysis of the target of what you're going to do. And then when you actually do it, that's quite quick, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly, you know, as we've said, if you already know the network fairly well, because you don't have to do an initial uh, reconnaissance. Mm-hmm followed by months of analysis, followed by actually doing your operation. You can do your initial recon and execute pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Now, I'm not sure. Are, are they totally orthogonal? Because if you're still wedded to using malware... Okay.
1: Yeah. I will, but- I will concede the point. <laughs> I, 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 like, I don't, I don't think they're tightly coupled. How right, about yeah,
0: that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's other reasons they can operate faster, I guess. And the the malware and the living off the land are kind of neither here nor there in this example. Right. right? And I can imagine other examples where it does make a difference. Yeah. But I think, again, it comes back to you've got to know the network really well first. And that's probably the slowest part.
1: You also also need to know your operating environment, right? So not just the network that you're getting onto, but if you're going to live off the land and it's a Solaris 2.6 box, some sort of very old thing, you can use those tools. Like you don't have to custom write new malware to be based off of a Solaris box, but you damn well better know Solaris. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, you're not going to get very far. Like in order to live off the land, you do need to know the land. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, in wartime, you find the retired person who knows Solaris really well, (laughs) (laughs) deputize them straight away.
1: I, I would point out that the actual observation here that Russia's operating faster is not wrong. That, that, that's not that's not a spurious observation. That's a thing that they're absolutely doing. And my assessment of why they're doing that is it's offensive defense, right? Like how do you defend your offensive operations? And one of the ways that you can do that is by speed. If you operate so fast that you have completed your operation before the other side can react, then right. that's a way of winning. And I think that they've transitioned to that. Like We can see that a lot, uh, particularly from the Ukraine search papers. Right.
0: Yeah. So the part of the paper that deals with that, it says that the GRU-sponsored OT attacks, so operational technology attacks, show a decrease in the scope of disruptive activities per attack. So if you're operating faster, that seems to me like you know that old engineering trade-off of faster, better, cheaper. Pick any two. Like you, if you yeah. if you're doing things faster, you've got to give up something, and the they seem to be giving up scope as opposed to perhaps a deliberate decision to do less impactful things
1: yeah so here here we're getting into one of the things i really want to talk about which is sort of like the, the strategic imperative behind this operation mm-hmm. like why did they do it and does it indicate that russia believes that cyber is on a par with missiles for destructive capability yeah yeah
0: so just to recap briefly yep. the story is that Around the same days that this cyber attack on electrical infrastructure was launched, there was also quite a large missile and drone attack against the Ukrainian electrical grid. Right. It wasn't clear to me in anything that was written here that it was a synergistic attack. It seemed to me that it was an attack that had both kinetic and and cyber elements. So one of the papers makes the claim that it was well-planned and was intended to degrade the whole grid. I'm not an electrical engineer. I can't really assess that, Uh, but there's no backup evidence in the paper either that really says that either. So I don't know what to make of that. My thought was that, you know, again, in Australia, we had a disaster where an entire state (laughs) lost electricity, (laughs) like millions of people, and there was a sort of unusual set of circumstances. And again, like, you know, in the temperature theory, got really be,
1: high or there was a fire or-
0: It was something like that.
1: <laughs> in Australia, in it's invariably in a, a fire. <laughs>
0: fire or a natural disaster. Like the whole it state was gone and it, like it was back up in 12 hours. And that seems right. to me to feel like, again, a cyber type incident where yeah. you're not disrupting equipment that you need to order and and it takes months to.
1: Yeah, I I think placing a bunch of equipment from a building that was blown up is probably going to take you longer than say re-imaging every one of those machines and reconfiguring them, right? Mm. Because if you replace them, you would have to do that anyway, right? So you're you're just adding that physical replacement step to your existing. Right, right. And so cyber inherently in this case cannot match kinetic disruption. I think the mistake is to believe that it has to, or that the contribution that cyber makes is its ability to emulate kinetic operations. Here's the thing, like I brought this up before because I rant about why electrical (laughs) grids are such a bad target for cyber. One of the things I like to point out is that electrical companies have SLAs. They have agreements that they have to be up and operating, right? Like they're a critical infrastructure, they're a critical utility, they have to exist. So they have teams on 24 hour standby who have years of experience taking these disrupted networks and making them function again, whether it's from a bomb or a lightning strike or a natural disaster or a once in a century snowstorm that knocks down power lines all over the place. They have teams whose job it is to get them back online as fast as possible. So if you're going to target someone for disruption, targeting the company who expects disruption as part of their natural business and has teams on hand to deal with it is not a good idea. Right. right? You're not going to get a lot of time out of that. Like they're they you're targeting the one person who's actually prepared to defend themselves, who actually has resilience.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the point of the planning of electricity networks is to have redundancy and resilience and and yeah, so my sort of sense of the whole let's disrupt Ukraine's entire grid is more missiles and drones would be better off doing that, right?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I absolutely agree. However, I think here's where we can discuss internal politics, bureaucracy, and... Yeah, yeah. So that
0: was what I was going to ask, is what, what do you think the Russian thought process is in doing that?
1: So I, I think it's sort of important to remember the context in which this happened. So October was the beginning of this countervalue operation, this full court press. Right, right.
0: Yeah. So th- this paper refers to events in October last year, even though it came out earlier this month.
1: Right. So this was October, 2022. Russia went on this big counter value campaign. So counter value is what we say about attacks against civilians and civilian infrastructure. So, counter force is when you attack the other military, and counter value is when you attack the military's support network of mom and dad and the chip shop and stuff. Right, like right, right. So, Russia's military basically went on this huge counter value operation against Ukraine to make the Ukrainian winter bad for Ukrainian people. So, they went after the electricity so that people wouldn't have, they wouldn't be able to heat their homes, they wouldn't have lights. It's like all of the things that we rely on electricity for, that was being targeted to make the population miserable so that they would want to end the war. Like that's typically the point of a a counter value operation. Cyber was part of that, right? So one of the ways to think about how important this operation was for them is they have something like 110 of their like top tier missiles, Right. and they use like 50 of them or something right. for these counter value ha- operations 100
0: in total like yes. 100 individual mis- missiles
1: like yeah like they, they have limited stocks right. of their their top end stuff because they're expensive they're slow to make yep and it, they they can produce like 2 or 3 a year right <laughs> like when they have all the components and they use like a dozen or more of them against electrical substations that connect to Odessa like strategically, if you're looking at how you're going to spend your resources and you have like this hundred million dollar missile, you don't go like, let's, let's make these people cold for a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> like That is the best possible way I can use this resource. But they were doing that. And so if you're going to make the analysis that cyber is as good as a missile, you kind of accept that missiles are the best things for that as well. That basically that it was a completely rational strategy of what are the most effective ways that we can use our existing resources to do something that is truly important to us. Right. Now,
0: one thing that wasn't clear to me that is possible, I guess, is that they targeted things within missile range with missiles. They targeted things within drone range with (laughs) drones. And then there was the long distance, we want to disrupt these other substations, but they're too far away just physically. And so therefore, our only option is the the magic bites.
1: I would suggest that Russia is not struggling to, to reach from like Russia all the way to Poland. I think they can missile anything they want to missile if the mood takes them. The stuff that they have certainly has reach. But I think the lesson we should take from this is sort of, even though that campaign was a little bit ridiculous because counter value campaigns typically don't work in general, but also the Ukrainian people are not going to be bothered by like not having electricity for a little while. Like That's not going to make them surrender.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, all of these resources, all of this money was poured into this campaign. And I think what that tells you is that the political importance of the campaign was higher than the actual operational strategic importance of that campaign. That basically, Putin said, Bake them freeze this winter. And that's what they did. Even though if you'd asked any of like the head of the army or whatever, what should we use our resources for? They would not have said let's go after the electrical substation that supports Kiev. Right. So like, this is speculation, but I think it's supported by the nature of the campaign, that they have spent so many resources on this when it was clearly not an effective way of wasting those resources. Indicates that there was strong political pressure to do this thing. And I think that is why cyber was included. I think that there's basically a directive from the boss. And so the cyber guys are looking at this Everyone is doing everything they can to make sure that the electrical grid is taken offline this winter.
0: Right, yeah. And now, I thought I read somewhere that it came in the aftermath of the Kirsch Bridge.
1: Pretty much everyone I've talked to has said that the timing is slightly coincidental. Right. There was planning already going on for this sort of thing. And then the Kirsch Bridge happened, and that might have pulled up the date that they were going to... Right, began, yeah, yeah. But it was...
0: Yeah, yeah. So the, the Kirsch Bridge was the bridge between Crimea and Russia. And there was a strike on that. And the scale of the missile strike, the mm-hmm. Institute for the Study of War says it was over 84 cruise missiles, 24 drone attacks. So they described that as a massive missile attack against over 20 cities, including Kiev.
1: Here's the way I see it. The boss comes out and says... Everyone, we're going to hit them where it hurts. We're going to make them cold this winter. Do whatever you can to take out the electricity.
0: This is relevant. So Russian President Vladimir Putin claimed to have ordered the missile strikes on Ukrainian infrastructure in retaliation for a terrorist attack at the Kerch Strait Bridge.
1: Right. So like, it is personally ordered by Putin. And so if we keep that context in mind... When we then look at the use of cyber for this sort of electrical grid attack, within that political context, I think it's not at all surprising that cyber was used, regardless of the effectiveness of cyber. And that's not just from like our external analysis of looking at it. We know that cyber is a bad idea for the electrical grid. Even if the Russians internally believe that, which they may do, I think that the political situation is such that you can't set this one out. Right. Yep. Here, here you are. You're the Russian director of cyber operations. The boss man comes in and says, everyone is going to do everything they can to take out the electrical grid of Ukraine for this winter. You're going to sit there and go like, oh, we're not the best force for that. You know, we're going to sit this one out. We're kind of busy right now, you know, writing on some malware that we're going to use later for a thing. <laughs> So that's just something we have to do. Because it's sort of just a thing that they have to do. That's why we see so few resources put into it. That's why they did such a light touch operation, because they know it's a waste of their time, but they also know that they can't not do it. If you've ever worked a minimum wage service level job, (laughs) right? (laughs) When the boss comes in and you've just cleaned all the tables... You don't go and stand at the counter because you're out of things to do. You get a rag and you go and clean those tables because the boss is watching, right? Right.
0: Yeah. I, I suspect even if you're not in a minimum wage job, if Vladimir Putin tells you to clean the table, you go clean the table. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think we're right, but also I think that I don't know that we're right. <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> so, so do you know what if, i mean like i, yeah, I am if, not I, if a, I was going to use like estimative language, I put it at like fifty fifty right yeah. i right? I think this is a very plausible explanation like as a hypothesis, it is supported by all of the evidence that we have, and it's not contradicted by the evidence that we have right however, it's a hypothesis I think there's competing hypotheses that would also right yeah fit that criteria
0: yeah uh, and I mean I guess the other piece of evidence against it being likely that you could take down the electricity grid with cyber operations is just that they're talking about operations that are smaller in scope and faster. I mean, I think if there's an opportunity to achieve something massive, like take down the electricity grid, you don't put a small effort in and then go, <laughs> okay, well, let's pivot to cyber, <laughs> cyber <laughs> espionage now.
1: <laughs> which yeah, is, we, we, which yeah. is by
0: all accounts what they have done in the last
1: Right. Over the yeah. last like, year. Oh <laughs> uh, well that didn't work. <laughs> you know, time for <laughs> something different. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, yeah. bro Thanks a lot, Tom.